Oh, man. What do you got, bud? I can hear you. Should we not do this on video? It might be the best thing. It might be good to just do audio. It says that my internet connection is unstable. Yeah, I heard that they're like kind of universally throttling internet right now. Yeah. Um, okay. Well. It's probably uh, just stop video. Yeah, let's try that. Okay. Do you hear me? I can still hear you. Okay, I can still hear you. Okay. Well, and if this doesn't work, we'll switch to phones, I guess. Ooh. Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast, episode 171, presumably, uh, if everything goes according to plan <laughs> with with all of this stuff, uh, where every week we get a bunch of comic books from our comics shop, The Comics Place, Bellingham, Washington, premier pop culture hub of the Pacific Northwest. And uh, we take all those comics back to our shop and excitedly sort them, count them, take them home, read them, um, bring them all back to the shop. All of this is what happens in a normal week of comic books, which is not this week, maybe the last week of comics ever. <laughs> I'm Jeff, and I'm not catastrophizing. <laughs> I'm Django, and uh, also not catastrophizing. Dude, you were supposed to gloss over my uh, mispronunciation of that word. Uh, sorry, that's not how this works. Well, this yeah, so this episode is a little bit weird for a couple of reasons. We're doing uh, we're doing this over video instead of smelling each other the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I would miss it. The smells. <laughs> and uh, every everybody is uh, stuck at home. Hopefully. Hopefully everybody's staying home. And we have uh, maybe the last, the last, definitely the last week of comics for quite a while. Um, Diamond has announced that they're not going to send out new comics uh, for the foreseeable future. There is some language in their release that says that they are going to send out new comics, which is a relief, but... Yes, so, and that keeps getting updated like a day-to-day basis, but Mm -hmm. um, what I read this morning is that, and so this is what, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? This is Sunday. Sunday, This is Sunday. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. Today is Sunday. Um, Ice Cream Sunday. Sam Sam has a food name for each day of the week now, so it's Ice Cream Sunday today. Oh, what's Thursday? Uh, I suggested Thirsty Thursday. She said it's already been done, so she said... <laughs> That's not food. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't remember what her Thursday... I ran through all of them this morning with her. I like it. Um, yeah. But, so it's Sunday, and the news on comic distribution today is that a bunch of companies have all sort of aligned themselves with different distributors. Um, Ingram having most most publishers in their camp mm-hmm. um i forget dark horse i think and a, diff- a couple other companies are somewhere else maybe like penguin or schuster or something and then image is the only one that doesn't have a company lined up to distribute their books and this is books, not right not issues right that's the question uh wow 
my feeling is that it seems like they're trying to work out how to get them to distribute single issues. Uh, that that would be upsetting to me. Um, really? Yes, because with so many shops shut down for who knows how long, um, creating more work. So you wouldn't going back to that. You wouldn't. So there's so many comic shops being closed right now. You don't. You wouldn't prefer any comics to be coming out at all no yeah exactly because i think it's a little bit irresponsible to be asking people to come to stores um i'm a little bit on the fence about deliveries and mailing even uh i think that there's a way that you can do it but i don't i think that you have to be super careful with it in order to do it responsibly and to continue putting out issues seems like something that um is tacitly telling comic stores to get people to come into their stores or to do something that goes kind of against health guidelines. So um, then as just two comic retailers who don't know, but are hypothesizing, what do you think would happen if the publishers continue to do things digitally, but not physically? And then in two months or three months when diamond comes back, do you think they would have all of those old issues available or do you think they would start the weekly schedule again from there and well, like then pub published and digital would be off by several months or I, I, it's hard to say. I think that in, in a perfect situation, they wouldn't publish them digitally. That doesn't seem to be the case. I don't know if that's going to continue to not be the case because we've seen some A, B and C list creators get a pencils down order from, um, <laughs> From different people, including Cullen Bunn. Um, <laughs> that message was very good. That that shuts down most of the industry right there. If Cullen Bunn's not Cullen writing Bunn anything. not writing, that means we're not getting whatever the sixty-five percent <laughs> of our comics. Um, but I, so if we're still getting um, digital issues and not getting physical issues, I think that hopefully they will make up those physical issues at some point. Um, for stores, the best case scenario would be for Diamond to have a ton of them and let us get them, you know, on a, on a fully returnable basis or, you know, some way that we can make sure that our customers get them. The whole thing is weird because after all this is over, and I don't think it's going to be a two week situation, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be months, um, before people are really encouraged to be in public and around each other again. Um, if digital comics keep coming out, they're they're gonna have to figure out how to get those in people's hands. And like really the digital the digital customer base is a lot lower than you might think. It's about 10%, I think, is what I've heard. And even if they quadruple that, then then they're you know, they're still just publishing for a tiny fraction of the people that would be reading those comics. Yeah, ideally it would stay a consistent amount, but I, I, I'm interested, like, if I were a consumer, I would go, I would start buying the things digitally. Right. Like, probably we should have a shop account to be able to buy some of these digitally as they're being released over the next month or two. Right. And if I would do that, I think other people would do it. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how many people get into the flow of doing it and maybe don't go back to physical comics. I guess that's the right. worst case scenario. Yeah. And I think, you know, every comic store lives kind of on the edge of disaster. And if we have, I guess, I guess what I'm, what I'm thinking is that 
with everybody else in the world shutting down unless you're food or medical supplies, mm-hmm. like comics can do that for a minute. Yeah. You know, if, if landlords are going to give people a break and the IRS is even letting people turn in their, their annual stuff late and pay 90 or 180 days late or something like that, like we can put pause on comics. They're not even making fucking movies and we're still expected to somehow like compete with digital comics. It's, it's, it's kind of a bummer that something this small is causing this much angst for all these retailers. Yeah, I agree. I would say just not releasing new comics period is the best call. And if they've got, I guarantee they don't have four months of comics already created or shit wouldn't come out late every single week. Well, so, right. It seems like, like a great opportunity for people to get an actual lead time on their books. Yeah. And, you know, if I were Marvel or DC, I would come up, I, I would hire our creators to A, catch up on projects they're behind on, and B, um, do some miniseries that are out of continuity or that don't matter and publish them after the fact. Like, don't put out new issues in sequence yeah do do some special edition things that are digital only and then if they're a hit then then publish them later maybe but it's been to, interesting to... i've heard a lot of buzz about or at least creator to creator buzz about a marvel dc crossover coming out of this like as in disney buying warner brothers no 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 just like a single comic event huh like and, like, even yesterday, Donny Cates, like, tweeted, like, man, it's a lot of fun texting Jeff Johns. Um, <laughs> and if, yeah, it, that is one instance of what they could possibly do in a situation like this where people, you know, don't have comics. Or we could release non-continuity comics. Make a big event. Also, that would mean that Marvel and DC have to sync up their distribution, you know? So right. it would be easier. <clears throat> anyway, if they did something like that, I think now is the perfect time to make something like that happen. Like, everybody stop what you're working on. Work on a new thing uh, that will yeah. disrupt the flow of comics outside of it. Yeah, because if you put out Action Comics number 1022 digital only and then expect stores to go back and buy it four months from now right. for customers that have switched to digital like that's scary yeah no no store can afford to do that you know we're we we live uh a couple weeks out from total disaster um and <laughs> there are a lot of comic stores that live two days out from total disaster you know uh this is not a business to go into if you want stability yeah, you know what it is crazy though, Django, is I uh, have um, engaged in a lot of things, a lot of interests, a lot of uh, things that have become habits or addictions. You know, I'm a, I'm a man of the world, and that's gotten me a lot of different places. I didn't realize <laughs> how incredibly like dependent on weekly comics I am. Like it's the idea, wild. the idea of not having new comics on Tuesday makes me like start itching and be like, okay, well, what am I gonna do? Or you know, I saw well, a news article this morning that did show that like, you know, DC is linked up with Ingram to distribute new comics, and that was kind of a misnomer. It was about paperbacks, but I got so right. excited for a second, I was like, oh, thank God! Like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I. I. My guess is that they're they're trying to keep serving the book market. Yeah more than the comic 
market because I think the comic market right now is going to be pretty small. And I wonder um, even what percentage of their sales, like the book market, is probably a, a equal portion of their sales. Do you think it's larger? Oh, I'll bet for books for like trade paperbacks and yeah. graphic novels. I'll bet I'll bet bookstores sell more than comic stores. Yeah, yeah, but okay, yeah. So you think that Marvel makes more off of their paperbacks than their issues? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just just online booksellers, you know. Yeah. Um. So, I you know if I were you, I wouldn't worry too much about not having books on Tuesday because at this point, like it's Sunday, and you thought it was Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just pretend that every day is Thursday, and you won't ever miss comics. I hate thirsty out. Thursday. <laughs> just a second. Hey Sam, what was Thursday? <clears throat> No, you did a different one. I don't know. I don't know what, th- what wasn't Thirsty Thursday, but Waffle Wednesday was a good one. Waffle Wednesday is good. We, yeah. uh, we've had two Waffle Wednesdays in oh. my house this week. Good Lord. <laughs> uh, I'm going to make uh, some sourdough waffle starter tonight for tomorrow. Man, I feel sorry for whoever's listening to this podcast. Because it's so garbage so far? <laughs> it's, it's all over the place. Okay, all right. It is. All right. Now, perfectly acceptable podcast, episode 171. Here we it's, are. It's like a mullet cast uh, approaching you backwards. <laughs> it's the party yeah. in the front and if, the If two retailers being pessimistic about the future of the industry is the party <laughs> portion of a podcast. Oh, just wait. Just wait till we talk about Action 1021. <laughs> okay, well, listen. Let's just get this fucking X-Men <laughs> thing out of the way, okay? All right. Uh, got- which one do you want to start with, though? Because there's nine of them. Yeah. Let's start. Oh, no, five. Let's start. Let's just do, let's do it on timely fashion, Jeff. Come on, don't waste a bunch of time. But uh, let's talk about Giant Size X Men Nightcrawler number one, Jonathan Hickman and Alan Davis. Oh, that was Jonathan Hickman. It wasn't really Jonathan Hickman. <clears throat> um, he said so. All of these Giant Size X Men issues are being done in the Marvel style. So the writer and the artist are coming oh. up with a pitch, and then the artist will draw it all and then send it back to the writer, and then they'll script dialogue around what's been drawn. Hickman tweeted like two days ago, like, that's how we've been doing these. I actually, you know, Alan and I came up with this story and then Alan drew it, but it came back to me mostly scripted. And I'm, huh. who am I to, you know, <clears throat> rewrite the great Alan Davis's work? So he's like, if you have any complaints, complain to me. If you have anything positive to say, that all goes to Alan. <laughs> um, and I don't have a lot positive to say. Oh, really? I, I liked it. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, did you? I did. Um, I like the, I like, well, yeah, go, you, what, you, you go first. I just, I thought it was, um, it felt kind of like a comic from another time, which is probably what you'd want if it's drawn by Alan Davis and illust- and written by Alan Davis. Definitely but, what you get from Alan Davis. Yeah. But it didn't even feel very Nightcrawler centric. I thought that it was going to be more about like what's been going on in the X-Men books in that, um, with like issue number seven nightcrawler like wanting to found the religion and explore that church yeah i thought it was gonna be more about that and it was really just them going to the x mansion and finding out that this invasive series of psychic spiders has taken over the place and they come to a very amicable decision about how to get out of there and then they get out of there and it's done i really like that uh we're seeing x-men sets from not krakoa mm-hmm. uh after the fallout of all that i, I thought that was really cool um, I really liked the appearances of the characters from their past. Uh, that it, It's not 
a team that I've ever really read or identified with. But every time somebody kind of showed up in the shadows, I was sort of excited to to see them just because they tickled my nostalgia bone. Oh, and I really liked the the thing with uh, Warlock and having him separate from his machinery for a minute and and have to keep it a secret. Right. Um, that that felt like the the main Hickman takeaway to me. Yeah. Yeah, so that Cypher and he can separate from one another. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. Oh, and then also like the a new X-Men from the old days is brought back that is has been in an egg or something there, and that's why the spiders were all weirded out. And it's just a cus or a customer. Lady Mastermind is a character I don't know anything about, but I was like, dang, she's got like the same outfit as Emma Frost. So just the like the mm-hmm. giant open top and then exposed middle down to belly button and just like little flaps of clothing covering their nipples down to their weight. It's it's a weird outfit. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the dude with all the eyeballs is a big fan. Oh, he's a big old fan. But uh, <laughs> but what I do like is like how on the forefront of pretty much all of these series magic is not the construct, but the character. Yeah, she's huh. been in New Mutants a ton. She's been in the main X Men book a ton. She's been she was in this one. Um, it, it just seems like I keep coming across her, and I I really like her, and I particularly really like the the tone that they're striking for her. Yeah, I don't uh, know much about her, but I guess she has been really really prominent. Yeah, what what did you think of the the character design for the bounty hunter race that's living in the mansion? Um, the, like the spiders? They, yeah, they look like ticks to me. Yeah, well, I mean, that's not how you sell a fucking comic book, to quote Roman. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't love them because I, I don't like spiders either. Uh, okay. But they do, they do look like more like ticks. You're right. <laughs> I just, I, I really like the idea of uh, like a race of bounty hunters that's that small and, yeah. <laughs> and can can become people. Yeah, there's a whole series of novels in the expanded Star Wars universe about a, a race of small bounty hunters like that, but they're all like just very little little things. It's it's not huh. very popular. Well, so what do you give this issue made the Marvel way? Well, first of all, I need to clarify that thing <clears throat> I just said about the Star Wars was not true, and I think if I could have seen you, I would have been able to navigate to a joke better. Oh yeah, but that's a I, bummer. Yeah, it wasn't. And it's going to be a theme of this episode. I give uh, Giant Size <laughs> X Men Nightcrawler by Hickman and Davis um, a seven. I, I give it a seven and a half. Oh, yeah, that might be a first for these X Men books. You gave one a higher score than me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, maybe Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, Foss, can uh, tell us. Yeah, hopefully in this quarantine quarantine times, we'll be able to get Andrew on for one since his uh, he's got a good data data sheep the first 50 episodes yeah hey um i also read another x-men book what was it x-men nice number nine number nine Hickman. turn me on dead man and l- turn me <clears throat> on dead man yeah if you put number nine on a record and play it backwards it says turn me on dead man just ask john paul george and ringo oh um well I, not I, paul because paul was dead that was the dead man oh oh god was he dead after that or before it he was dead after that. There was a there was a big uh, theory that Paul had died and they didn't tell anybody. And they recorded number nine. And if you played it backwards, it says, turn me on, dead man. I love things like that, even though they're obviously ridiculous. <clears throat> um, I was going to tie it into Kurt and Courtney, but I won't. Um, <laughs> this X-Men number nine, this is, turn me on, number nine. Uh, 
what did you think of this? I thought it was pretty good. I liked the last issue a lot more. <laughs> did you? I I liked this one for intro. Well, I like the amount of like very typical Hickman in in that he condensed and gave you a pill sized explanation for the history of the brood and uh-huh. sort of a working uh, operating system for how they interact with other people, what their history was, what this king egg is, what the hierarchy of power in the system, like of the brood system, is. Like, I I, I really liked all of that because I don't care for the brood that much. I don't care for the Cree and Shi'ar and scroll stuff that much. And to be able to kind of take an interesting hook from that story and put it into this uh, worked well for me. Yeah. I don't, the, the thing that starts making me a lot, a lot less interested is when we get like the accusers and yeah. like all, all that stuff is like classic Django tuning out right space space politics well and it Um, does for me too yeah but the like just the the broods ships (laughs) got me real good last issue and i love it again this time and i like the idea that uh like spoiler alert by the way at, at the very end uh somebody that we know becomes the king of the brood and i think that's a pretty cool pretty cool thing and it gives the x men maybe a you know, an even larger army. Yeah. The fact that the brood is now theoretically under their control or with them since yeah. the new King of the brood is spoilers tied to the X-Men. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really cool idea. Does it look like <clears throat> destiny is in this issue? That final I don't page know who destiny is. Well, D- destiny and house and powers was the, the person who could see the future that, was married to mystique and then they killed and like now they're not allowed to have people who can see the future. Okay. On that final page, when the shot of the X-Men standing in front of the brood, the person on the far right looks a lot like destiny. She had that big gold mask and the big dumb head. Maybe so. Um, Huh? Which I think would be a continuity error if anything, but um, yeah, I, I liked this one. I thought the info dumps were really good in that classic Hickman way. It reminded me a little bit of decorum where you would get uh, an info dump and it really spelled out the, the political or social hierarchy and how this whole, like when you asked about decorum, like what part of the world he probably thought of first. Right. Um, I, I always kind of come back to, I think he thinks about alien power, political and social structures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had this whole working theory for how the brood interacts and what the queen is and the sub queen and then a king, which they don't really use, but there's the goo is in the egg. And anyway, just classically yeah. Hickman stuff. Yeah. Um, I like the main cover. It's like a 1970s movie poster. Yeah. Or like a propaganda shot or something. Yeah. 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 You're right. It does seem like it could have been a Star Wars movie poster. Yeah. Uh, I would give this, uh, I guess, an eight. Yeah, I think I'd give it an eight also. Yeah, it was a, a pretty enjoyable comic. And, uh, you know, this is in, as close as I've ever come to caring about an accuser. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, and that makes me excited to talk about Road to Empire, but I will wait. Uh, I trust that you read Road to Empire. Absolutely. The not. prequel Zero Road to issue for a Marvel event that I was sure I didn't care about. You know, that's what Marvel could do, and I wouldn't mind, is if they just put out all of the Empire stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, digitally. <laughs> we wouldn't be missing out. Let us let us off that hook, Marvel. 
Um, but you did read Hellions. I did read Hellions. That surprised me. It's written by Zeb Wells with art by... Um, Steven me... Segovia. Yes, yes, Steven Segovia. Um, I was pretty apprehensive about this one going into it and ended up liking it quite a bit more than I thought I was going to. Now, why are you surprised that I read it? Um, we're just getting out in the weeds a little bit with the different number of X-Men books that are out there. Okay. And... I think I've read the first issue of all of them. Yeah, did you Except read I, did, I didn't finish Four? Excalibur. I did. I, In fact, I... I think I brought home the next two issues okay. of X-Men Fantastic Four. Uh, I, just, I was on the fence about reading this one, and yeah. I'm super on board with all the X-Men stuff, so I, I didn't assume that you were going to go out there and check this one out, especially by two creators I don't really know, with a bunch uh, of characters I don't really know. Yeah, Zeb Wells has done some Aftershock stuff, I think, that I enjoyed. And, and he's or been maybe the... Vault? Yeah, he's been doing Marvel stuff for a while. Okay. Okay. Well, well, I've, I've enjoyed he, he some of his did those things. Stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I, this is this is like the unpredictable, almost bad guys on a team. Um, it doesn't seem like a super unique setup. It it feels like Suicide Squad. Um, in fact, if they weren't um, probably legally scared to say Suicide Squad, they probably would have said it in this issue. Um, but I thought I thought the character work was pretty good. I thought that the the like the violence was interesting. Um, I don't, I didn't understand the cliffhanger and uh, I don't think that I'll probably read the next issue. I will read the next one. And I'll tell you what I quite liked about it is like, I, I obviously historically have a, a deep interest in mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think like Justin texted me after he read this and he was like, yeah, it's basically like suicide squad in the X-Men universe. And I, I think that's a totally valid take on it. But, uh, I draw a slight difference in that. Um, you know how in like, uh, deaf culture there are people who like when their children are born without the ability to hear they don't want to get like cochlear implants which are the things that can simulate hearing because there's like a culture that has been built around people who can't hear and um and they they there's a really interesting discussion in in the deaf community i hope that's an appropriate term but um uh about like are you losing part of your culture and heritage by having the ability to hear or hmm. or are you not losing anything and you're just having a, a sort of quote-unquote God-given right, which is the ability to hear? Uh, in this issue, it really takes the standpoint of your mutant power is a gift. It's it's a part of your culture. And, and so there's like all of the people on this team are people who have a mutant power, but it's essentially... Um, it's a not pro-social power. It's a thing that isolates them or causes right. them to be unruly. But at one point, like Apocalypse is saying, like, well, should we put them in the pit or should we remove their mutant power? And they're like, well, no, that's their mutant power. It's what makes them who they are. Right. And it makes a lot of sense to me that the Krakoan mutant culture would need to create some way to honor individuals whose mutant power has caused them to be a societal outlier, if if that makes sense. It's not yeah. simply saying you're bad guys. It's saying like you're you have a good gift, but it means that you have to be classified sort of differently. So I I like that they're kind of creating a group of people whose mutant powers cause them to be antisocial, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it seems it seems like 
I don't know. I guess it just feels like a setup for a story rather than something that I believe. Like mm-hmm. in real life, I think each one of those people would be put on one team or like like on, on separate teams so that you don't have this team of complete antisocial people. Yeah, I guess the question <clears throat> I have in my mind was not even it's like, would these people go to prison or would they not go to prison? And it starts to be this idea of like, okay, well, how does a society honor a schizophrenic person? You right. Know? Right. And I think that's a really interesting conversation because on one hand, you could just say, well, they need to be put in a home. Or you could say, or, you know, if they have very light meds and proper therapy, then they can be still functioning individuals. And I just, I guess I really liked the quiet council sitting around trying yeah. to decide what they're going to do with these people who don't fit into the normal realm. I, th- I think more than anything, I liked it from a sort of psychological perspective of just how do yeah. we include everyone that has a, a different set of beliefs and abilities. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. I, I didn't, I didn't really examine that part of it, but that's a, I guess that's the whole thing of it, isn't it? I was I just reading so. for the action and the punching, I guess. Like there's this great moment with Cyclops, <laughs> Professor X and Apocalypse where Professor X says, this is troubling. We've given predatory mutants a home in paradise. And, and Magneto says, it is our responsibility to make a place for them. And then Apocalypse says, yeah, such is the pro- promise of Krakoa. Um, so yeah, it's it's more than anything to me, a conversation about how does society look at, at, at people who don't fit in it. So I, yeah, I was very surprised really, by that take. It's interesting to have have the like everybody on Krakoa is suddenly on a team whether they've got history or not um it it kind of reminds me of how I felt in high school as the dude who didn't smoke pot if if somebody did smoke pot they were instantly friends with everybody else that did yeah and I think that that expands beyond high school well yeah yeah and it's but it's it's weird because like they put aside all their other differences for this one thing. Yeah. And the same thing happens with with the X-Men right now where they've put aside all their differences as long as you smoke mutant pot. Uh <laughs> you're you're part of the part of the culture. Um it's called so, crack coa. <clears throat> crack coa. Uh and so to see them I guess deal with with the outcasts here is an interesting I just said what you said, but with different words. <laughs> I love it. Um, X-Men Fantastic Four, number three. So you read number one and didn't hate it, and you brought two and three home to read? Yeah, I, I haven't read number three yet. I don't I don't even remember for sure if I read number two yet. Um, basically, it's been a hard week, buddy. It has. Get, it off, has. My, get off my back. Hey, whoa, no judgment here. Like I said, I Stop wouldn't expect me. you to be reading uh, five X-Men books a week. <laughs> um, but basically, Doctor Doom has intercepted Franklin and Valeria and some of the mutants that had them. And now... Uh, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four are at Latveria with Doctor Doom, and they're going to do some sort of a trial thing. It, The first issue, I think, was the best of the series. This, The Dodson art, man, their character design is rough. Like, if you flip through this, all the Fantastic Four have these just horribly dated, dumb costumes with these big cylinder heads, and, um, and that's coming from a guy who likes the Hickman helmets. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's gotten a little bit... Um, ugh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit further from the part of the story that I liked in the first issue, and I don't care necessarily about huge Doombot Sentinels, which is the end thing. Uh, mm. I would be more interested <clears throat> in sort of the implications of the Fantastic Four trying to negotiate their son being a mutant and going to live on that island. 
which yeah. I think is sort of where it started and it, where it will end. And this issues two and three haven't been super, super great in that regard. Oh, I forgot to give Hellions a score. I would give that an eight. I'd give it a seven and a half. And then um, that was my sort of quick summary of X-Men Fantastic Four number three. I think the art isn't fantastic. I think Chip Zdarsky uh, has a hard time writing comics that aren't at least compelling. Yeah. And, and so I, I would give this one a seven. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Something you said in there. Oh, the story, story structure. I've um, I've always kind of felt like there's a way that you could write where you start with a beginning and an end and then throw in obstacles. And you can throw in as many obstacles or as few obstacles as you want. So if you're writing a comic book, you're like, okay, we're going to start with this conflict between uh, Reed and and his son. And we're going to end at this point with his son ending up on Krakoa, if that's where it's going. Right. And in the middle, we need, what is it going to be a four issue series? I presume. <clears throat> so in the middle, we need two issues of, you know, roadblocks. Right. So, all right, we're going to do X-Men for one. We're going to do Doom for another. And then if they extend that series, you just add more roadblocks. Mm-hmm. And stuff like, I don't know, a, a lot of cliffhangers for comics feel to me like they're like, okay, we just, we just got to stretch this a little bit or we got to compact this a little bit. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, but, you know, like Lost the TV show felt like they did that. They had probably a tight four seasons and then they're like, oh, this is a hit. We got to we got to extend it. Yeah. And and you saying that made me feel like it would be an awesome writing exercise to have a beginning and an end. And then every t- so like when I go on walks or when I we used to do it more, um, if I was just going out to take a walk every time I was like, all right, I'm going to take a left here. I would say, okay, I can't take a left there. Now I have to go a direction, not left. Right. That's good and for your brain, buddy. It is. That's why I was doing it. Um, and, and I think it would be really cool to have, write a comic where w- whatever your immediate inclination for the next step of the story to be to then not allow yourself to take that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is sort of what you're saying. Did you read Wolverine number two? No, I I think we sold out of it in the in the box of we did comics. We don't have a new releases shelf this week. We just had a box <laughs> near the fulfillment station. It is weird. Is it um, not the comic book? Not having a new release shelf. And oh just yeah, having the box weird. of new comics. <laughs> uh, this is is really good. It wasn't quite as well. I think that like maybe five or six weeks went by between Wolverine number one and this one. Okay. And Wolverine number one, if you remember, was sort of two comics. There yeah. was a f- two very separate <clears throat> stories. This one follows exclusively the first story, which had that cool kind of Lebowski-esque detective mm-hmm. um, whose daughter was sick. And he... Um, yes. And I like that character a lot. And yeah, I really like the Adam Kubert art. I much prefer him to Andy Kubert. There's some really beautiful art in it. And... Yeah, the story, it, you know, it, it's following that there is a group of people who are hijacking Krakoan flowers and then making hardcore addictive drugs out of them. Okay. And it's Wolverine on the hunt for those people. And there's just some, like, really great bits of dialogue between uh, Wolverine and who we'll just refer to as Lebowski from here on out. <laughs> and uh, and some beautifully illustrated scenes. And, yeah, um I guess this is what a Wolverine series is. Like, it, I've never read the original. Have you read that 
like original Wolverine series? Is it Frank Miller? No, it's Claremont. Like the one, like the the black cover of him. It was, like that was Claremont and Miller. Okay. Um, and I don't think I've actually read that one. I was a huge fan of the ongoing Wolverine series. Right. I probably started picking it up around number twenty eight or twenty nine, and that's when we didn't know any of his history. Right. I think um, Weapon X had just come out, so we were just finding out that he had you know served in the military and that Sabretooth was his relative and like there there was a lot of really interesting origin work happening from like the late 20s through issue 50 or so it would have been really cool i'm, I'm envious of being able to have read that wolverine in like stuff as it was coming out like to have not had it and not know it and then have it slowly doled out would have been a really cool experience yeah and there was a really good series not i mean i guess probably 12 or 15 years ago now called wolverine origins i think it was yeah, yeah not not the not the mini series but there were i think it was wolverine origins it was an ongoing series um yeah. that i think steve Dillon illustrated some of and yeah, um, it was like paul jenkins or something was the writer originally yeah somebody like that and paul jenkins wrote the the mini series oh did he okay because there was there was when I was a kid, Origin, the first one, came out, and it was, like, talking about Wolverine's origin, and it was, for whatever reason, um, they were telling everyone, like, this is going to be a valuable comic. Like, these are the first valuable comics that are coming out in years and years, and everyone right. tried to collect them, and I was, like, nine or ten. Yeah, this, I, I don't remember who, oh, I think it was Daniel Way wrote them. Okay. Um, but it, those were really good, but as I was reading them, I was realizing that my favorite part of Wolverine is not knowing his origin. Right. And so like, as, as I was reading these awesome stories, I was like, well, you guys aren't really leaving much room for more interesting mystery around this character, which was a, a bummer. I don't know. It was, it was really weird to have that kind of mixed reaction. Like, Oh fuck. Yeah. We finally find out what happened here. And then also, Oh, now we can never find out what happened here again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mysteries are oftentimes more interesting than answers. Um, but yeah, this Wolverine series, I, I think basically is tonally similar to that original Claremont Miller stuff that I haven't read, but it's just like, it is exactly, I guess what you would expect, but not what I expected, which is like a Wolverine series is probably him not around the X-Men. And I, I am most yeah. interested in him around the <clears throat> X-Men. Um, but I think this is probably exactly what you'd expect if you are more informed than me. Nice. So yeah, I, I like it. I think you'll dig it as well. Um, what, I would give, give it. it? Um, I think a 7.5 or an 8. I do really like the art in it. Nice. All right. Well, that's the X-Men corner of the books. <clears throat> Holy crap. There's hardly anything left. I know, That's not true. I, I read a lot of books. Um, did you, you wanted read... to talk about action comics, right? <laughs> oh, God. I'll tell you what. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, um, we got time. It's more, it's more of that battle. Some, like, uh, a major character who's been kind of a bad guy switches teams in here is that uh, the the red smoke one yeah um luther and his buddies lose the battle and then at the end we find out that all of this has been happening before clark revealed himself which is such a terrible instance of publication organization yeah i, I like i got to that and i was like well a the art was kind of a bummer b none of the content in this issue was compelling and c I just feel confused now. Right. Um, you guys fucked up. I give it a four. 
I do think that the first two pages, that first double page spread of like behind Luther. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. <laughs> There's like, I was working really hard to appreciate John Romita Jr.'s art in this. <laughs> and there are elements to it that I do appreciate. Um, in the same way that like, I think it was like issue three of Batman's Grave. I was like, oh, I can get why maybe there's times where Brian Hitch's art is cool. Yeah, um, that's really some... charitable of you. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> like, there's a double page. There's a double page spread here where Superman's getting trapped. Sorry, it's a single page where Superman's getting trapped by the Red Mist Lady, and then the, the double page spread shows like Connor Kent, Superboy, like just flying into Lex, and it's the whole top third of a double page spread and the composition and the perspective of it. And like the way that the amount of the camera being zoomed in on it relative to the other panels in it. I was like, okay, that like, I think he's gotten kind of lazy, but I also think that some of his, um, composition within panels is nice. Like the first two pages, are particularly like it's a nice shot i don't know if you have a copy of it with you but yeah i do um behind lex and like leviathan and it's we're sort of behind but we're also looking down but we're also on the same level it, it's i don't know there's yeah i mean it's not irredeemable but i didn't i didn't find the enjoyment of it that you did i don't know that enjoyment's like, the right you, word but yeah you loved it this is your I, new favorite art i just like you like this more than watchmen well, that's not a huge bar. That's not a high <laughs> bar. Do people still like that book? <laughs> yeah, I I would give it like a five and a half. Yeah, I, it's, it's it's disappointing because I've really mostly enjoyed the Bendis stuff, and but action has been on a fast slide down for me. Yeah, I basically um, stopped paying attention to it when Ramita came on. Yeah, and and I don't like it when an artist is a deal breaker for me, especially if it's a writer that I've been enjoying. Um, yeah, but this. The story hasn't been compelling for me either, and yeah. so like between those two things, eh, there, uh, you know, I'll keep reading Superman. That that's for been sure. that's been way better, and uh, yeah, I I don't know. I uh, took this opportunity to like read, like I haven't been reading action, so I read, I grabbed that, and I haven't been reading Detective, and I was like, well, I you know, no comics for a while, I should grab that also. Um, so yeah, like I'll I'll probably occasionally keep checking in on an action, but. Like you said, I don't want an artist to be a deal breaker, but I I don't like John Romita Jr.'s art much anymore. So did you check in on Amazing Spider-Man number 42? No, mm. I didn't. Talk about that. I'll be right back. It's really good. It's uh, Amazing Spider-Man 42 by oh Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. And Otley is... He's just a great artist. He does the... Uh, he did Invincible. He's done a handful of issues for this. This basically opens with uh, Spidey fighting Gore. Is that his name? Gog. Gog. Spider-Man fighting Gog. And then it goes into Gog's origin as a little pet. And you feel really bad for Gog by the end of it. But I hear also, it's a heartbreaker. Yeah, he's also going to fuck Spider-Man up. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I thought I thought it was really good. I... I've been dipping in and out of this series and pretty much just enjoying it whenever I read it. Um, and this this one was probably one of my favorite issues of the series so far. I, I wouldn't put it up there with like uh, 
oh, the spider bite issue as far as like uh, a pretty self-contained one shot that will make you feel feelings, but um, probably in a slightly different mood, it would. I'd, I'd give it an eight and a half. Um, yeah, it. <clears throat> I listened to a different podcast earlier today and they said very good things about it as well. Nice. Um, yeah, that book, the Spencer Otley Spider-Man book, I wish that I felt compelled to read every single issue, but I don't. Yeah, and it it's... I think <laughs> I think that's fine, um, because like I haven't been reading every issue. It's at number forty-two. I've probably read maybe thirty of them, uh-huh. and whenever I dip in, he does a really good job of recapping what's going on with dialogue, and it it never, even though there's a larger story happening, it's it's all you know larger story arcs. I never feel like I missed anything super critical, and I never feel lost when I when I dip in and out. My complaint about it is that it just still feels like we're in a zero issue. Well, maybe we are. Maybe <laughs> maybe uh, maybe this is Spider-Man 2000. Django, I can't see your face, and I know you couldn't see mine. Did you know that I was just ribbing you? Oh, I knew. Okay. okay. Now, Jeff, yeah. could you tell that I identified that you were just ribbing me and decided to play it real serious so you would feel no, a I... little bit self-conscious? No, I appreciate that our friendship at this level is rooted in that deep amount of awareness (laughs) there's not a lot of people who could make me feel casually insecure and also safe at the same time um (laughs) dude listen let's get to the let's get to the meat of this thing what do you say like we've been dancing around this for a while yeah um yeah but let's get to the meat i didn't read it let's get to the meat okay um Transformers The Terminator. Story by David Marriott, Tom Waltz, and John Barber. So three story story people. Written by David Marriott and John Barber. With art by Alex Milne. So I'm really glad you read this. And I hope that when you are giving us your review, that you um, compare and contrast it to Frank Miller and Walt Simonson's Terminator versus Robocop. I will do that. Um, So whereas Frank Miller and Walt Simonson wrote a book that was good, um, (laughs) this was not those things. No, it was actually, it was rad. I I read this last night um, because I just wanted to just read a bunch of random stuff. And this was, oh, maybe atrocious. I don't like tearing things apart. But yeah, so they're like kind of retelling. Well, first of all, the art is not great. Like it doesn't. I guess the person's probably pretty good at drawing mechs, but they're not good at drawing, like, people. Like, I think it's supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it does not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger at all. But I read him as Arnold Schwarzenegger. I did just look to the very end where there's some pencil sketches, and it does have what I was hoping to see, which is basically the the T-100, or what are they? I don't know. The T-800? I don't know. there's There's a Terminator Transformer, and you don't get to see it in the issue, but it's preliminary sketches are drawn at the end but it is not a good transformers comic and it is not a good terminator comic and maybe that's the best that you can get when you're going to cross those two things that shouldn't be connected but it is it is so weird man they kept saying just like weird catchphrases that don't (laughs) need to exist like he goes and meets up with sarah connor but like she's not historically important like it's the future and terminators need to send a terminator back for whatever reason to end Skynet, which is going to affect the Decepticons or something. Um, 
But at one point, he's just like the guy's just like smiling. He's like, "You could navigate me there," and she's like, "Uh, yeah." And he says, "Come with me if you want to live." Just like out of nowhere statements that are right. um historically significant to the movie. Like if your favorite movie is Terminator or your favorite franchise is Transformers and you like the other one a fair amount, I guess this might scratch some type of an itch. But but get, cover, get an ointment instead is what you're saying. Exactly. The cover is so much better than anything that happens inside the issue. So um, as as you were talking about this and and it's happening in a in a timeline where Sarah isn't critical. Is that, it is goes right? back to yeah, well it goes back to 1984. We start in 2029, <clears throat> they send somebody back to 1984, which okay. is the year that Transformers started. Right. Um so so yeah, like the T whatever ends up waking up the transformer arc and then hmm. it was interesting what in a, that woof <laughs> what about a story where um and this this would take crossovers from many many companies but what about a, a character who can jump back and forth between universes and have little interactions with people Jamie, you are a man that has a lot of like B level story ideas. Yeah, you yeah. just kind of like you just sort of drop them all over the place. It would, it would be like uh, what what was that show with was it Scott Bakula who kept bouncing around? Red Dwarf. Ooh no. Um, um, nope. This would be better if I could remember it. Not Inner Space. Um, Scott Bakula. I don't even was... know if it was actually him. Oh, he was in one big sci fi show though. It was like at, at the end of every episode, he would have to wrap up wrap up helping somebody out oh, it, and then he would it bounce totally through time. is scott bacula that you're thinking is of. it okay. um what is his show though people are dying right now i know i know um, i just imagined will elmer screaming the name at his at his ipod I, I don't know if we should assume that will elmer was a fan of quantum leap quantum leap will elmer was a huge fan of quantum leap he still well, is well, that's why he was all... just screaming at his ipod we're all quantum leapers here anyway transformers terminator <clears throat> i'll give a three you made a comic Quantum Leap, but with pop culture dimensional travel. Oh, so you're going to the Marvel Universe and you're going to the Terminator Universe. Yeah, you're hanging out with Indiana Jones. You're bringing... That uh, is a fantastic idea, Django. Thanks, I just thought of it. You uh, should workshop that and write something. I'm pretty good at ideas. Like, the Simpsons episode would be really good. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even know how good the Simpsons episode would be. <laughs> um, okay, I did Terminators that Transformers. What did you get? Well, um, I read No One's Rose from oh, Aftershock. Oh, I didn't. <clears throat> yeah, it's written by Zach Thompson and Emily Horn, drawn by Vault? Alberto Albuquerque. God damn it, it is. <laughs> wow, I thought it was... All right, sorry, Aftershock. Look, I'm wearing your shirt. What else do you want? <laughs> no, they can't see right now, Django. We canceled the video portion. I'm wearing your shirt. I'm attributing everything to you. Um, <laughs> I, I've liked pretty much every Vault comic that I've read. And I haven't read them all. I've liked a lot of the Aftershock comics that I've read. Um, and this is uh, this looks like the perfect combination of the two. It's, <laughs> it's set in, uh, in a far future where the world has been completely ravaged by um, storms and, and poor ecology. And it, the, the people live in this bubble like a greenhouse. But it's so far in the future and so far advanced that we have strata of people in the bottom working with, you know, fertilizer and maintaining the water systems. And then people who live up near the top um, 
are rich and never never go down to see the other people. And so it follows kind of a freedom fighter and his sister um, going from the bottom to the top. And it's it's just a really it's a, a really good example of a comic that has a world completely built and like they know what's going on and it I don't know it it felt like it felt like you were thrust into a world that somebody has written 60 issues of um Hmm. and the the character development was a little on the nose but really solid and the the stakes aren't super clear yet but there are definite stakes and yeah I I I thought I thought it was really well done I'm always really impressed by books that can convey how well a world is lived in and not have it be incredibly wordy. And I I can't speak to this one because I didn't read it, but a comic book in general is inherently less wordy than like a novel. So then if you have a not super wordy comic book, then it's generally pretty concise. So like, I think Hickman generally does it pretty well, but I mean, just the amount that you described that world sounds like a pretty lived in society. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't say that this is not super wordy, but none of it felt like none of it really felt like on purpose exposition. It just felt like people hanging out and you're learning through their eyes, which that's a, that's a fine line to walk. And Zach Thompson and uh, Emily Horn definitely pulled it off. Hmm. What do you give it? I give it a seven and a half, maybe an eight. Um, I'll read it if it comes out. <laughs> um, so then on the topic of catching up on books that I had missed, you and I both at the time of last week's recording had not read Deceased Unkillables number two. Oh, I have now. Okay, me too. Yeah, I caught up on Deceased Unkillables and I also caught up on Star Wars last night. Oh, nice. <clears throat> this Deceased Unkillables, man... It's so good. It's so fucking good, dude. We, it's only yeah. going to be three issues, and I prefer it to the main series. Really? I yeah. Well, I prefer the art. Like okay, leaps and bounds. I and think, the, the last art had great art too. But yeah, I think uh, this this whole thing has. Man, I don't know. I listened to Roman talk about it. I listened to I fanboy talk about it. I listened to somebody else talk about it, and I was still enthralled and excited and surprised at the at the twists at the end yeah man it was such a bummer that you know like halfway through the issue once the bad guys all came to the good guy camp and they all started hanging out and like there was that time jump where you're like you know the next three months something unlikely happened we all started getting along and grew closer and all these like villains are being softened and all these kids are like kind of being matured and and you just knew that something horrible was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it did. Yeah. In the same <laughs> way, like when you're reading The Walking Dead, you just know that as soon as things aren't scary, that you're about to like <laughs> have your emotions fucked. Yeah. And uh, this one did that and does it. And I cannot wait to see more <clears throat> of Carl Mostert's career. career. Like he, yeah. it's a shame that there are three inkers in here. Um, but I really want to know which inker was which first and foremost, because Carl Mostert did some of his own inking in this. And I would like to know what he looks like when he inks, but it's just like, there's, I can't think of another artist who looks as much like Frank quietly as this artist. Yeah. And I've, you know, I'm saying that having several artists that I love that I, I think are clearly influenced by him. This is like, gosh, it's, it's 
I miss Frank Quietly always, but I would, I would, I would, it would soften the blow if this guy was doing more comics. Well, I think that a lot of the, the creators that we associate with kind of the Frank Quietly school of art are, I don't know, they're, they're almost doing like over the top cartoonish representations of Frank Quietly. Yeah. And this one is not doing that. This is, this has got its, is- its own style and it's, it's just like, here's what I'm doing. And, and it's almost more. I don't know. It, it seems to be more like pencil work than ink work to me. And like uh, Nick Patera and Ramon Villalobos feel like um, their art is done when it's inked. And this feels like his art is done when it's penciled. Yeah, I, that I think that's, sense. that's it. No, it does. I think that's a good <clears> point. Um, and I also think that those, so Ramon Villalobos, Nick Patera, and Chris Burnham are the three that really come to mind mm-hmm. as being mainstream artists who clearly were kind of coming up in the school of quietly and all of them I would say have gotten more stylized and more um, kind of off the rails in the last like two years. Yeah. It might just be the kind of thing where you emulate your idols until you get to a level of proficiency and then you start doing your own thing. And it could be that Carl Mostert will head in that direction as well. Yeah. Um, Since he is pretty new to the scene as far as I know, but well, I'd give that book an eight and a half. I'd give it a nine. Yeah. Yeah, it was it's so good. It's good. Um, speaking of Chris Burnham. Yeah. Uh, I think this came out last week, but I just finally read Die, 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 Nine. <clears throat> die, 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 die. Yeah. Nine. Um, it throws you in, <clears throat> excuse me, it throws you right into the world again. Um, I had no idea what was really going on in the first series, and I had no idea what was going on in this series, but there is a, a, one page pretty hardcore recap um and also it doesn't really matter because every single scene is this gorgeous vignette of characters in this world every scene is this vignette of you know crazy violence or disgusting actions by politicians um in in this kind of over-the-top world that die 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 is set in and Every scene is interesting and fun to read, and you know, I I I think that the the character work in this is good. I think that the short stories that they're telling are all really good. I think it doesn't hold together super well. Uh, it needs something a little bit stickier. Um, but like the 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 one ongoing joke here is that you know the world's politics have have fallen apart enough that there's a kind of a chance to do anything that they want. And and so they're doing good things. And this woman was like, well, there's a new birth control pill. Um, it was discovered that it caused a woman to eject an egg from her body during intercourse. <laughs> and then the egg would be fertilized and develop inside the man's urethra, causing severe pain. Wow. Um, and if this pill was released to the public, it would settle the abortion debate. Um, it and, sure would. And the costly procedure to remove the fetus would also prove the need for universal health care. And they're like, so did you just pitch dick babies? <laughs> and uh, and that comes back again later on. It, it's just like pretty pretty funny political satire along with a lot of people with their noses cut off in this series. Yeah, I am surprised that you are as fond of it as you are, just given that I think you and I both don't like not knowing what's going on. 
Yeah, and and normally that's that's a big deal breaker, but it doesn't feel like you have to. Right. It's just like here's some Gonzo shit. Enjoy it, and and if you're paying attention, everything will tie together. Okay. I do love Chris Burnham's art, but it wasn't quite enough to make me stay with that series in the first run. Yeah, I, I would say you could jump in on this and not be not be super bummed. Uh, I'd give it a gosh. I'd give the art a nine and a half. I'd give the wow. story a seven and a half. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. The average of that is an eight and a half, Django. I'll give it an eight and a half. Dude, a crazy thing happened to me last night. Oh, can I guess? Yeah. Um, I got nothing. Oof. No, buddy. Give me a guess. Uh, you were sleeping, mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. cat came and stuck its mouth in your mouth because you had had milk before bed. Okay. Well, and you, you woke know, up with a mouthful of cat face. You should know that I don't drink milk because I think it's a disgusting, foul beverage. Yogurt. You ate a bunch of yogurt before bed, and your that cat is amazing stuck that its... you were able to guess. <laughs> um, no, uh, I went into the bedroom and I brought two issues that I uh, was just kind of at the bottom of my stack of these things that I, I brought a ton of books home, and I brought into the room the Terminator Transformers book, okay. and then Road to Empire number one, which is a one shot. Uh, the credits are Thompson. Deulius and Rodriguez and none of those names stood out because they are names that exist in other creators or other books or I just didn't remember any of them but I flipped through this very quickly and it became apparent that the Rodriguez in it is uh, Javier Rodriguez who did most recently um, that History of the Marvel Universe Treasury Edition Oh, nice! and I love his art it is uh just beautiful watercolor giant whole pages are are single images and there's like all sorts of scenes in it like there if you haven't looked at the history of the marvel universe book that came out in paperback a couple weeks ago or was coming out monthly uh, throughout this last year it's one of the most beautiful comics to come out in the last couple of years so he, that artist did all of the flashback sequences the current like the artist who does the current day scenes in it um is gosh it's kind of like some of the stuff that you would see in the the Star Wars books that like the i fanboys complain about or other people complain about so like um, photo reference almost yeah, traced but kind of but in this case <clears throat> they're only drawing scrolls so it's huh. there doesn't it doesn't feel like photo it just feels like it actually looks like I don't know, like Stuart Eminem or something. Um, like it like looks... slippery computer art? Yeah, but also like I kept being like, man, I think that I really like this art. And I feel like I shouldn't because I don't know. It's, it's, it's worth flipping through because it really did defy some of my understandings for how digital art can look. And I'm not even 100%. Like I think the coloring is digital. Anyway. Matea de Iulis um, is uh, on the radar. But then the most interesting thing is that it's written by Robbie Thompson, who I knew I knew that name, but it is that's the dude who wrote that Meet the Scrolls miniseries that I loved. Oh, yeah. And then it's about that family of scrolls. Oh, wow. So you loved it. I liked it a lot. So it is, it is half 
um, that writer telling a story about that family of scrolls after what happened in the Meet the Scrolls series, which is for whatever reason gone up in value quite a bit, because um, because they were cranking out stuff that didn't make sense, and then they put out a good one. Yeah, or yeah. So their their orders were low, but I think those characters are now pretty important, and huh. we have like a full run of those issues in our back issues, but they're they're going up in price. Um, it's a story about them intermixed with flashback scenes that sort of tell the history of the Kree scroll relationship as drawn by the person who did that history of the Marvel universe book. So it is phenomenal. And as I was reading it, I was just like, Oh, I bet Roman is freaking out right now. And so I texted him this morning. I was like, Hey, did you and Huckleberry read this book? And, uh, he did. So I'm going to read his review of it. Um, I said, did you read that? Uh, I really liked it. He said, me too. I was going to skip it. Figured I might as well read it since we're, we've got time. No idea about Rodriguez being on the art and the Meet the Scrolls writer being the writer, but I read the whole Celestial Madonna saga in old Avengers comics when I was a kid. The ones about Mantis becoming the Celestial Madonna and the Kotati, which are like an old alien race that I didn't know about, creating a duplicate of her lover, the dead swordsman, to have a kid with her and seeing revisited and still relevant, now cool art. Uh, I love it, building on old storylines. It's just like the most Roman comic ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's feeding in on all these aspects of Marvel history that I didn't know about, nor did I care about. And I really love when uh, Roman's love of historical Marvel continuity is sort of brought into a way that I can like it. And uh, yeah, if you thought you knew about the Kree and the Scroll, like I thought I did, uh, I didn't very, I didn't really know much about it. And I don't know that I am excited for Empire, but if this writer is a part of it or these artists are a part of it, I am more excited about it than I thought I was. Like it, this, this was a really good single issue of a comic book. Road Road to Empire was was very good. Uh, uh, what do you give it? Um, I'd give it a nine. Like the writing is great because it's that same writer who meet the scrolls was so like interpersonal. Like it was, it was about a family of scrolls trying to pretend to be humans while also doing these scroll objectives. And, um, the, yeah, it, it was very about sort of like the American lifestyle and how, um, oppressive it is if you aren't, if you've maybe come here or you're not a first generation or, you know, American or something, it, it, it really talks about the, the, the identity issues that come with being an outsider in a place that, that is so incestuous and inclusive in so many ways as America is. Um, it, it, yeah, it's just, it, it was touching, I guess. Well, God Heartwarming damn it. isn't the right word, but it's, it, uh, so they put I don't a know the comic that, everybody kind of wrote off in our heads i think yeah for sure because these usually like these zero issues road to an event comic are generally pretty throwaway but this one was uh really good because it's just sort of like a history of the marvel universe by a really great writer with an amazing artist so i would give that one a nine i i really liked it it made me really excited to talk to roman can i tell you uh what else that artist has done yes invisible woman yeah yeah, and that was kind of the conversation we had. I even think that I said that, like, I like the shadows in it. I like it more than some of the other stuff that's like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, I don't... I mean, I read 
Star Wars 3 and 4, but I didn't read anything else that came out this week. I've been reading uh, some Hickman. I'm three or four issues into East of West, Volume 1. Nice. For the second time, Joel O'Connor gave that to me for my birthday. I think the first birthday I had right right after I started working at the store. And uh, I I tabled it until the whole thing was out so that I could read it all at once because it is a dense, intricate story. How is it going? I like it so far. Um, yeah, it's 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 he's throwing you into a world that is not super easy to to understand. Like you have to pay close attention to what's going on in the timeline of of each scene. Um, so I'm spending more time reading it than I do most comics, but I'm digging it quite a bit. Um, before we move out of the comics, I just I I read Once in Future number seven. This is the first issue of the next arc of Once in Future by Kira. Oh, yeah. Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. And the spoiler of this one is that um, King Arthur, who's like an evil Satan demon dude, has now brought back Beowulf, which is cool because oh. I had to read Beowulf back in high school. And uh, I liked Once in Future a lot. It was like National Treasure meets Arthurian legend. And yeah, um, yeah. a so British book... National Treasure. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, I read Detective Comics 1021 by oh, Tomasi yeah. and Walker. How was that? And this is good. It's the second issue of a det- of a Two Face arc, and there was just a, like a trade, like a six issue Mister Freeze arc that Roman really liked, and he kept saying it's the best Batman book coming out. <laughs> so I just jumped into this, having not read the last like seven issues, and uh, it's good. It's a this is like, um. When, like, Jimmy T.I.V. put out those first four issues or three issues of his run on Batman, I kept just being like, this is just, like, a not very good generic Batman story. Right. This is a good generic Batman story. Okay. It, like, doesn't feel rooted in any time. <laughs> it's, like, a timeless Two-Face story. Two-Face is doing stuff. Batman's chasing him down. It feels like um, any comic, any Batman comic that you would have picked up from, like, 2005 to 2012 okay so yeah i guess i guess we've had like 10 years of very long form batman comics haven't we yeah i think since grant morrison's story oh geez even longer like 15 years yeah i think since then they've kind of stuck with that format huh that's interesting um because i i do really enjoy the one-shot stories from when I was collecting comics as a kid, but I guess I don't really glom onto them in the same way now. And I think these are more like, you know, five or six issue stories, but even that when you're talking about Batman is not a thing that's very commonplace anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Cornelius Stark's first appearance was in an issue of detective comics and it was just like, somebody's eating people's hearts let's go solve the crime and catch the bad guy yeah and and it was like in the middle of a bunch of a bunch of one shots and two shots and uh that robin 80th anniversary special from last week really made me realize how hungry for those types of stories i am yeah yeah Um, and then i also read uh teenage Mutant Ninja turtles 104 uh by sophie campbell she wrote and drew this and this is wrapping up that arc of all of the turtle brothers separated and having a bummer times and they kind of come back together here and it's adorable and heartwarming and the art is great and i really i really like it and i am excited to continue reading tmnt 
uh, I read the last four issues, and it's the first time in my life I've been reading monthly turtle comics, and it is pretty fantastic if you have a soft spot for anthropomorphic animals. And that's the issue that you talked with Barry about on our Facebook and YouTube this week, right? I did. I've been uh, I've been trying to do some updates with Barry which I love doing. I'm trying to be overly mindful of what it feels like. It would just be something that I would put on my Facebook wall, or if it feels actually pertinent to comics and therefore can go online. Um, and I hope I don't go over the line of Jeff, you should just make your own Facebook account and not do this on our store account. But, Oh buddy, um, do you know how much energy it's taken me every single day since we got locked in our houses to not just start recording chants and putting them on facebook as, oh. a, as an inside joke <laughs> as, a, as a way to piss uh, jeff off on, on the store account and yeah. call you out by name each time and you'd be like oh shit i can't tag him because he's not here yeah um but yeah uh yeah so barry and i it's on the youtube thing it's on the facebook thing we'll probably do another one today or tomorrow um we want to do a django centered one so we'll probably oh, no. do that pretty shortly here all right um, uh, well i can't wait to do my berry chant oh god Religion sex and criminals, oh sex criminals 28 this book is coming towards the end and that's awesome and it's weird how just like super erotic this comic is while not being erotic at all like it's just the most like open and awesome frank discussion about sexuality and sanctuality um but I, I love it for that. And at the long end of it, um, Matt Fraction does his sort of introduction to the letters column, which is usually like a six or seven page, eight page, ten page letter column. But he does a full page and a half write up here where he's just like painfully like a big part of this issue is talking about somebody who's got some sort of sexual proclivities that cause them to have some hang ups and He's like, well, um, if there's one thing writing sex criminals has taught me, it's that only by talking about our boners and mental health honestly and openly can we destigmatize problems with our boners and mental health. <laughs> so he goes on this long story about how he's started taking some new anti-anxiety and ADHD medication, but it was preventing him from being able to have an erection, and he didn't feel comfortable talking about that anywhere, so it sort of like led into this complex that lasted for several months about like, you know, just what, what does it mean if you can't get a boner, if you're a dude and, and what the implications of that are. And he wasn't sure what the cause was and he was blaming himself and all this mental health stuff. And then he ended up going to a doctor and talking about it. And, you know, it came that like, because you're parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous systems operate in opposing sides of your bodies, these medications. Anyway, he came up with this like resolution to all of that and it's just like the issue was fantastic but then that write-up at the end is also just like super vulnerable openness and honesty is a thing that just um gives you a boner it gives me an emotional rock hard status (laughs) Uh, it makes me emotionally rock hard and i i just really appreciated that and i i um i you know matt fraction is a guy who can go either way for me um and this one he just went up I, th- I think I'm uh, but, three issues behind, which is yes, all of the new volume. issues. Yeah, yeah. It um, you should <coughs> just sit and read them. It's it's so worth it. And yeah. I had no real memory of what was happening before that. And he was like, "No, that's good," because I was kind of losing interest in it. So I just kind of started things back over in an interesting way here. So nice. Um, yeah, that that was great. And I read a couple other things, but we'll leave it there for now. So. 
Django. Yes, Jeff. What have you been doing? Gosh, I uh, I've been watching some TV. I, mm-hmm. I tried to take naps a couple times yesterday, and and various things happened to keep me from doing that. What have you I, been watching? Uh, well, we just finished Preacher. Oh, the final season of that, right? Yeah, and it's fabulous. The first season is a little rocky. I think just as a TV show and as a preacher adaptation, it doesn't hit the mark. But um, man, the, by, by the end, that, that last season might be one of my top 10 favorite seasons of television. Wow. It's just completely bonkers, gonzo, like... I don't know, man. It's it's all of your preacher characters, but the TV versions, and they're just as crazy and fucked up and perfect and beautiful as they are in the comic. Was that season four or season three? Season four is the end. Okay. So season one starts out kind of rough, and it, it roughly tells the main story beats of salvation from the comic, um, which doesn't happen until near the end of the comic. And then season two is kind of the New Orleans and the introduction of the Grail. Season three brings us to Masada. And then season four is just completely off the rails. Nothing, nothing makes sense when you compare it to the comic. It's, it's, but, but they also still manage to get every, there's maybe like four of the, the bonkers characters that you never meet in the TV show that, that were in the comic. But like, even the sex detectives have a cameo in there. And every time I would be like, nah, there's no way they're going to actually get to, you know, put, put the, these, these characters in there. They, they jam it in there somehow in this already super overpacked, hilarious season. I watched the first two seasons and totally would have kept going with season three, except it was not streaming anywhere at the time. Um, but that was about two years ago. Yeah, it is now. And, and I would recommend jumping on Hulu and finishing it up. I, I think... I don't know, man. It, it it was really, really well done. Um, I'm also, we're, I think, an episode or two away from being done with Tiger King on Netflix. Okay, I've been hearing about this one. Yeah, it's it's wild. It feels a little bit, um, a little bit like a sham, but the, the whole, that's fine. Like, in that context, uh, give me a, a sham of a documentary. Uh, like, manipulative kind of storytelling. Yeah, what do you mean by a sham? Like it's a it's a fictional thing, or it's a documentary that is being very loose with the facts. It's a documentary that's being very judicious with the way that they dole out the facts. So they're not giving you the whole story; they're giving you a cliffhanger for the next episode, and then mm-hmm. they clear they start talking about that, and then they give you another cliffhanger for the next episode. Um, not. It's not a bad thing. It's just a. At some point, it clicked to me that that's what they were doing, and they're like holding back information in order to give you a cliffhanger. Um, um, that sort of reminds me of the documentary series that I just finished last night. But I'll wait till you finish the Tiger King. What the, is it about? Uh, it's about it's about people in uh, Florida who collect tigers and have a rivalry and one of them is like this blonde mulleted handlebar mustache gay man in florida who loves making country music videos and loves tigers and loves tearing down this woman who also has a tiger zoo farm animal petting place or whatever so what you told what you're telling me is that we found out what happened to bill forgetti Oh yeah, 
yeah, Bill, Bill <laughs> is working on one of those farms, and he is super bummed that the Walmart trucks haven't had enough rancid meat to feed the tigers. Oh, wow. It's, it is hard to stop watching and a little bit hard to watch. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think everybody should watch it. Huh. What the, um, are you going to say McDonald's? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Did you watch it? Um, yeah, I did. I, I finished it uh, a few nights ago. Um, yeah, I watched it all within 24 hours, um, which I'm not a binge watcher, but uh, I guess I binge watched that. I guess it was only six <laughs> episodes, but um, but yeah, that was another one that just sort of as you're describing it, like the way that the episodes were plotted was a little... Um, manipulative isn't yeah. necessarily the right word, but just sort of like, okay, I, but it made me think that like, what is the thing that makes me keep watching anything? Is it just good cliffhangers? Like is a story itself ever enough? Like if it were just end in a normal spot, would I ever watch the next episode or read the next issue of a thing? Well, would you watch a six hour documentary? Heck no. Would you remember to watch episode four of a weekly documentary? If there wasn't something compelling, pulling you through to the next one? Yeah. yeah, I guess that's a good point. Also, could they have pulled that thing off in a two-hour documentary? 100%. Yeah, I think they could have made it like a three-and-a-half-hour documentary and, and leave a bunch of stuff out. But, um, yeah, what did you think about it? I thought it was pretty good. Um, I, I I thought it was a little too long. Um, yeah. But I, I really enjoyed all the characters. I guess they're people. Yeah. Is it okay to call people characters? I mean, you're definitely a character. Listen, motherfucker. <laughs> uh yeah i i enjoyed everybody in the show um again it felt a little bit like the filmmakers were making some conscious choices to um you know make make you feel a certain way and to portray right. certain people in a in a certain light um you know it was like sometimes it felt like they showed up to do the interview at at 9 30 at night and we're like ah, it's fine we'll just we'll just put you in some not pajamas in post uh, and sometimes it felt like they gave you three days and a whole makeup team to to be interviewed. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I I thought it was really fascinating. I I love the idea of somebody doing such a low level scam with pretty high stakes. Yeah, it is, it is bizarre. I was totally able to kind of understand why someone would steal those things in the way that he steals the game pieces. Yeah. Um, without wanting to spoil it for people, but just sort of like, I think so much deviant behavior in, in all types of things, but if we just sort of lump term of deviant behavior, I think so much deviant behavior happens because someone just asks themselves, like, could I do this? Right. You know, like this guy is transporting the winning <clears throat> game pieces. So at some point he was probably just like, could I do this? And it turns out it's not very hard to to you know steal a thing or or to have a crime um that just is a really interesting aspect of hu humans you know like yeah the, the question yeah. of can i get away with something trumps should i do this thing so often right and and um you need to find a new word for uh trump, trump right supersedes right. yeah um but the uh just just the idea that you know the people who were designing that game didn't look at it from a paranoid enough perspective, even though they were dealing with millions of dollars of prizes. 
Right. Also, the way that those million dollar prizes are doled out, it's $50,000 a year for, you know, 20 years. Right. Um, Like, shit, man. And then after taxes, that's like, you know. $30,000 a year. Yeah, I think it was like $35,000 a year, which is like, gosh, okay. That's just like having a second not full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no for sure, but and it's also not the same as winning a million dollars. Like their their punishments for that stuff, like they got caught red-handed, and you know it was inconvenient for them, and they lost a couple years of their <laughs> lives to jail. Yeah. But you know, it's it's one of the great injustices of the justice system. I think is that that kind of thing. That's that that doesn't that that is like as antisocial as uh, sticking somebody up for for drug money but the person who sticks somebody up gets a much harsher sentence yeah wait crack cocaine is involved shit go to jail for 10 years yeah exactly weed Um, is involved until recently go to jail for 10 years (laughs) and in some states still yeah um but yeah yeah so so sam and i have also been watching a bunch of like movies and i've talked about them very briefly with barry in the youtube videos so you could check those out and i apologize if this will be redundant for anybody but um Django, I watched Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. And you had said a couple days ago before we weren't allowed to touch um, that... <laughs> in the touching times. <laughs> back in the touching times. <laughs> um, you had said something to the effect that Batman Begins stood up a little bit stronger than you remembered it. Yeah. And that Dark Knight didn't stand up quite as well as you thought it would. Yeah. And I have not watched Dark Knight Rises yet, but I actually plan to do that basically when when we get off this call. How did um, how did those two hold up for you? Batman Begins didn't hold up super well. Okay. Um, Sam isn't the best barometer for it because like a, your general superhero movie is a thing that she's not super interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but by like halfway through, she had just kind of checked out. Um. And I don't, I don't blame her for that. Um, it's it's the, a slow movie. Like it's, it's not a superhero it's, movie. It's it's a crime movie that happens to have Batman in it, kind of. Yeah, and it's like a morality <laughs> tale. Yeah, you know, which I like morality tales. But I, um, I'll put this in between Batman Begins and Dark Knight. But I don't like Christian Bale. I yeah, I, I'll give you that. And. I don't think that it all is surprising to you to probably to have that all just come back to that leaked audio of him freaking out at that guy in the Terminator Salvation filming. Oh, yeah. He also did some really shitty things to his mom, I think. He's just, I think, an asshole. Yeah. And, an angry little boy. Yeah. And I can't unsee that in him. And considering Batman is one of my favorite characters of all time, I... I I just have a, I morally have a hard time putting Batman as Christian Bale. Like I can't really do it. And Sam doesn't have any of that baggage about knowing what Christian Bale has or hasn't done. And she kind of came out with it just sort of being like, I don't think he's a very good Batman. Like now, do you think he's not a good Batman or not a good Bruce? Um, I think that the Batman voice in those movies is like really terrible. That's a thing that point... Christopher Nolan does. He, like he, I think that guy's got different ears than the rest of the world. Because when he's in charge of his sound design, it's fucked up and hard to understand. He like, but Christian Bale just sounds nasal throughout all of it. Like he, he's just got his nose plugged the whole time. Yeah, and 
Um, yeah, maybe it's a Christopher Nolan thing. I don't know. But like, so, so Batman himself is hard for me to take seriously in it. Um, I don't, I just don't view Christian Bale as the capable male that Batman or Bruce Wayne has to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's just the, the whole thing like doesn't fit for me. Well, so but, what did you think of uh, Dark Knight? I think that one still really holds up. Okay. Um, I do think that your statement of like, there's a lot of really incredible acting performances in it that are the acting performances um, are able to, to make the not great dialogue stand on its own. Yeah. I think that that statement is right on the money. Like there are lines in it where like Heath Ledger would say a thing. And I was like, Oh, that's not a great line of dialogue, but yeah, your, <laughs> your acting performance is magnetic. Somehow you sold this shitty words, dude. He, and he does. It's amazing. Like I, I do like, like two thirds of the way through it. Sam was like, how do you feel about this Joker? And like I know that she's a big fan of Heath Ledger, um, as are many of the the girls in my generation. Like uh-huh. he made an impact before dying. Yeah, um, you're you're you narrowly escaped the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio adoration. Yeah, I had that a little bit. Like I definitely <clears throat> remember Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, for for sure, he he has that that era about him. Um, and and I like. I have complex thoughts about it and it is that it's not my favorite type of Joker story. Um, like I don't love the Joker as a thug character as Mm -hmm. much as I like Joker as a sort of psychotic, confused, almost force of nature, almost supernatural thing. Right. I like that a bit more like, or like, or I yeah I don't know I I just I like him a little bit more of a cartoon character than he is in that movie but I would say that that is more in line with how the writers chose to write him and I think that Heath Ledger's portrayal of him in that movie and for the Christopher Nolan universe is perfect yeah I I, I was really impressed at how grounded they were able able to make the Joker um, and I really like the I really like smart Joker who like unpredictable smart Joker, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the conversation at the end of the movie where he's upside down Mm -hmm. and he's talking to Batman, um, it's, it's probably been eight years, eight to 10. And it's probably been since before I worked at the comic shop. It's, It's probably been 10 years since I watched that movie. Um, and, I, until this point, had really just watched it as, you know, like, there's Batman, there's the Joker, there's Gordon, like, not necessarily analyzing the the subtle implications of what's going on, kind of like with Game of Thrones, your first run through of Game of Thrones, you're sort of watching on a surface level, but then if you watch it again, you're like, oh, here are all the political implications of these warring families, right? whatever. <clears throat> um, I, I have a hard time, I definitely read people more than I listen to their words when I'm watching a movie the first time. Right. So this was the first time I was really like, yeah, like there was some political and societal and moral things going on there that I didn't get originally. And, and that conversation when Joker's upside down at the end, uh, is incredible. And the, him being upside down, but being shot right side up. Yeah. Um, 
like the camera is upside down, but he's hanging upside down, so he looks right side up. Like there, that's just an amazing visual metaphor. Like that, that that scene is incredible. So, um, I read an interview with Christopher Nolan right before the third movie came out, and he was talking uh-huh. about how each of those three movies has one word that he was trying to get across. Interesting, and it's a word that is repeated throughout the movies. Um, the first movie word was fear. And uh-huh. so, like, the, the theme of the movie is fear. And... and that's what I was telling Sam, is, like, this is really all about him becoming an idea to instill fear, and an idea is larger than a person. Right, but also he is afraid of things, right? right. Like, he's dealing with his own fear. And then we have um, Scarecrow, who deals in fear. And and I can't remember what the themes were for the next two movies, but if you can oh, find God. that... I yeah. I have to know now. Just a second. I'm getting the phone out. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting conversation. Um, what would you guess it is for the second one? Because I, I don't know, I man. Like, like chaos or um, or deserves. Um, yeah, it was it was less subjective than that. It was it was more along the lines of fear, um, and it's mm. something that the that people say throughout the movie a lot too. Yeah, chaos is probably right, but yeah. Um, yeah, and and I don't remember what the what the third one was. Either. Oh wow, okay. So apparently he does that with all of his movies. Okay. Um, but the prestige is ambition. Okay. Dark Knight is chaos. Okay. Um, Inception is regret. Wow. The Dark Knight Rises is pain. That makes sense. Um, Man of Steel. What? That's not Christopher Nolan. He he had his hands in it. Oh, okay. Um, Chris. Um, but was that disappointment? <laughs> n- no. <laughs> it's just, it's confusion. Um, Man of Steel was isolation. Okay. Uh, and then that's all this article had. You know, but... my dad, when he would um, prep to go into the studio, he would include in the notes for all the musicians, he would include like three or four words for each song. Um, so like lonesome or you know, desire or whatever, just, just some words for them to put in their brains when they're playing. And, uh, I always like that idea of, you know, preparing, preparing things to give people to keep in mind when they're, um, performing. And I think in acting, that's one thing in music. That is a whole different set of muscles. Yeah. Yeah. I think with music, that's like a, you know, if I were a music producer or something, that's, that's a technique that I would employ. I think that, um, yeah, because because everyone has a different relationship with with any word or any idea. Like yeah. everyone has their own relationship with it, and uh, you know the most the most interesting thing is when you have a lot of different ways that you can come at a concept. Especially right. when in in music, they're not explicitly <clears throat> saying like, "All right, now this song's called Lonesome." Like you don't know that, right? But you have to get it through it, with could, the intonation, right? And every listener um, has a different. Um, a, a different paradigm for interpreting that too. So if you if you give the musicians the the four musicians in the band that edict, then they're going to hit different people with each of those feelings. Right. And then I, another thing that I always thought was really impressive was when uh, someone once told me like, yeah, you should if you're ever feeling like an emotional center to a piece that you're working on, you should find a picture that feels in line with that. And then you should just have that picture around every time that you're working on that song. Interesting. 
Um, and that's a, kind of a similar idea to like a word. You know, it's like a it's a soundless thing that elicits an emotion. And I do. I kind of go the opposite. I use music to give me a certain mood for coding. Um, so like when I'm writing code and I need to be completely focused on it, I have two or three albums that I just put on and turn up way too loud and I blast through whatever I'm writing. What the, so the song, I have a song that is in line with coding for me, um, having never coded. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's the song from the social network. It's track number two from the social network soundtrack. You play it in the store a lot, right? Um, I think it's on your playlist more than mine, but, yeah. um, but yeah, it's, it's actually the song that's playing as they start coding the, the website where they compare two women. Right. But it, it is, it is literally the sound of somebody like sealing up in a room and going through coding in a f- kind of frantic way. It's, it's so good. It's called in motion. Yeah. Um, the, but I, I'm curious how you would code to that music. Beautiful Freak by the Eels is was an album that I was listening to when I first learned HTML. Like I just locked myself in a room and spent about seven hours picking code apart and, and learning it through context. And that's that album is like, I don't think it's even 40 minutes long. And I just listened to it on loop. And now when I hear that, I remember learning that that first round of of code but i use uh the faint wet from birth is my main mm-hmm. like focus album it's also a real short one it's maybe 35 minutes but i can get a shit ton of work done in 35 minutes with that way too loud in my ears yeah the the faint has awesome albums for doing other stuff um that <clears throat> makes me think about the like the long list of people that sent me text messages yesterday about nine inch nails albums oh yeah <laughs> um because trent released the fifth and sixth albums in his ghost series uh two days ago would you call them the fifth and sixth jokers cards of trent reznor's series uh i don't get it whoop, whoop. i don't get it it's a juggalo a... thing buddy oh why is it a juggalo thing because they released joker cards instead of albums the great malenko was the third jokers card i think it is unsettling how many conversations with you come back to Insane Clown Posse. Well, I mean, what is a juggalo? <laughs> I don't know. But, but I'm down with the clown and I'm down to psycho. Um, you didn't even know you were singing with me. That's how much of a juggalo um, I am. Oh, bud, we got to get out of here before people know, <laughs> hey, before people I, learn. I watched a, oh, wait, first, how was that album and that other well, album? So it's, t- <laughs> it's two albums and... Um, the most frequently played Nine Inch Nails albums in the store for me are <clears throat> Ghosts 1 through 4, which are these four instrumental albums that he made right around the, like right before he started doing um, film score work. Okay. And it's sort of what then preceded his film score work. And like the Vietnam War documentary that was made, he did the soundtrack for. It has a lot of the music from Ghosts. Do you think he was in it. practicing soundtrack I, or. I, you know, this podcast for me is always just like, we're not, we're not, there's not thousands and thousands of people listening to it. It always feels like it's practice for something larger. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that guy has kind of always viewed everything he's working on as that. Yeah. So I don't know that it was consciously going to be music or movie stuff, but um, with this one though, um, I heard that at least one of the two albums is a bunch of, um, unused music because he was doing the soundtrack for something 
and okay. then he stepped away from it. Okay. And it was a movie like about <clears throat> isolationism or something, or a kid stuck in a room or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, this this feels very much like it is unused film score work. But I love him so. And do you think that he put these albums out? He he put them out by surprise, right? Yeah, he he's he does that a lot. But yeah. And do you think that the timing was, hey, everybody's holed up. Let's let's give them something to listen to. Yeah, he straight up wrote a thing that said, hey, um, everyone's going through periods where it feels like everything's okay for a minute, and then you read something, and then everyone gets totally depressed, and you don't know what the future of the entire reality of the world is. So he's like, so I'm releasing these two albums. One is called Together, and it's for those moments where things sound okay, and you're around people that you care about, and everything's all right. And the other one is called Locusts, and it's obviously for the other. Okay. Um, So... Yeah, it, uh, it it is intentionally a sort of referencing these times right now. Um, while we've been in the locusts, uh, Erica and I watched a movie on Netflix called The Platform. Um, it's I think it's a Spanish movie, um, and it's dubbed pretty well. Um, but I would recommend putting the closed captions on so you can get the some of the original language also. Um, because the way that they dubbed it, it looks like they're pretty much saying their, their lips match the words that they're saying. So sometimes they have to rearrange sentences or use different words to get the point across. Uh, so it's interesting to watch it like that, but it's basically, um, a dude wakes up in a prison cell that has a hole in the middle of the floor, like probably a 10 foot by five foot hole in the floor. And he looks down and... He can't see the bottom of this pit and just below him is another prison cell and below that is another prison cell and when he looks up it's the same thing and he he wakes up on like level 80 or something i guess sounds stressful his his roommate is just up from level 130 something and uh at some point a table comes hovering down with food on it but it's food that the people above them have already eaten and his roommate runs over and he eats as much as he can in about 30 seconds. And then the table starts going down again and they can't keep any food from the table and they're eating scraps from the people above and the people below are eating their scraps and people below are eating their scraps. And every month, I think they get knocked out with gas and move to a different level, seemingly randomly. And it's not a super complex movie, but it, I thought it was really good. It sort of reminded me a little bit of Snowpiercer at certain points and a little bit of The Cube. Um, and it, it's a, a real interesting kind of dissection of social hierarchy and, you know, what what can you do for the people below you and will they appreciate it because you're above them? Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It's not happy and you'll see some of the grossest scenes you've ever watched, but... Uh, Something I like enjoyed the human it a centipede. Lot. Uh, I haven't actually watched the human centipede. Maybe I'll do that today. Me neither, but it sounds like a thing you'd be into. It's, it's parts of it are gross like that. Um, right. But but it was it was really entertaining. I, I don't know if you ever watched the Cube or the Cube 3D no. or Hypercube or the Cube 2 or any of the Cube movies. Um, but just like a person in a room having to solve puzzles to get out of it. I don't know. I I recommend the platform. It's on Netflix. 
And then just to go back, uh, it sounds like Trent was involved with making the soundtrack for a film called Woman in the Window, which is about a, a woman who can't leave her home. Okay. And then I, I believe he stepped aside from it. Um, so a bunch of this music from Ghost 5 and 6 is apparently from this movie that is sort of about a person who can't leave their home. Huh. So Topical. It's perfect for these times. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Okay. All right. All right. What else? What else are we working through here? We done some music we've done some television some movies uh i've been working a little bit on our point of sale system which is super boring to normal people um and i also like the website no our point of sale moby um i added oh you made a new box yeah i added a new tab so that we can kind of control the website a little bit from moby that's that's gonna be fun and then also i worked on I'm, i'm working with brian hibbs to get his website up and running nice uh, Brian. Is he paying you? No, no. I, I figure we. I'd do anything we for all, Brian. Hibbs. Well, we all need to stick together right now. Like if, if I'm sitting at home and I could either be drinking my fourth beer or helping another comic shop, uh, you know, survive. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why not? Why not? I I told him like at some point maybe he can pay me, but not until we're all kind of more stable. Or hey, uh, say hi to my little manservant next time you're around him. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Brian, I'm doing all of this just so that you will uh, next time you and and I and my my small shy quiet boy that hangs out with me is around, just give him a hello. Just or I'll do all of this if you can just remember his name is Jeff. Yeah, I almost wrote him an email after Comics Pro, just like, hey, I wish that I had gotten gotten it together to say anything to you, but I'm a big fan of what you do and I really respect the confidence with which you you speak. Oh, uh, you in, should do that in these services. You should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You should write a letter to like every day, write a write a short note to somebody from Comics Pro. <clears throat> yeah, I mean I I I guess the first Barry video I did, I ta- uh tagged Andy Johnson cuz I love that guy. Oh, yeah. And then yesterday I wrote an email to Morgan Perry from Boom, who is a huge um, fan of your Barry videos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she I was on a Zoom conference with the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund people yesterday. Just it was Morgan and Adam Freeman and Sienna from the CBLDF. And Adam also shared that video. Your video? The first one. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Um, but but Morgan actually called, you know, it was it was a bunch of other retailers watching this video and, and Morgan called uh Comics Place and Barry out by name. Nice. Yeah. Barry. People love that fucking bear. Yeah, it's uh it's kinda kinda not a big surprise. No, it's not a big surprise. He's a nice guy. I mean, he's a real nice guy, but he is not fond of you. Well, you know, um, maybe I'll change my opinion. <laughs> maybe he'll change his opinion. <laughs> uh, Django, just a second. Wait here. Don't go anywhere. Okay, I'm going to stay right you here. Can, you can chant till I get back. Religion and politics often make some oh, people fuck. lose all perspective and give way to ranting and raving and carrying on like emotional children. They either refuse to discuss it with reason or else they prefer argumentative hominem, which is a hell of a way to conduct a discussion. Well, anyhow, not long ago, I was talking about the elections and how the campaigns were ignoring the issues and sticking instead to invective and personal crap that had nothing to do with the substantive problems of running a government, which is all true, as you know, if you followed the speeches and so-called debates of the candidates. Anyhow, one of the guys I was talking with said not a word I'm sorry, it. everybody. That sucks. <clears throat> it sucks to come back to you, and I can't imagine what it was like to be here for it. So I apologize. I did just walk out into my hallway, and there are stuffed bears littered everywhere. People just um, started texting me, thanking me for finally chanting. Uh, I didn't know we were live. We're not live, and no one will. No one did that, and no no one would ever do that. No one would ever do that. It's a terrible idea. 
Um, do you think that we should do a Zoom call with all of our wonderful employees? Yeah, if the internet works. Yeah, you just keep dropping it. Yeah, um, I, I'm 100% down to do that if, if we can make it work. And, you know, if I keep dropping, who cares? Yeah, <clears throat> um, that's not true. I, I care. Well, I can log back in, though. I shrivel up inside of myself every time you and I are leading a conversation or are talking to people, and then you go away. <laughs> well, we just it's have to like make putting sure salt got, on a slug. Uh, we'll, we'll put some other other shop people on here, uh, like our yeah, like our coworkers. Yeah, yeah, we'll put okay. put anybody we want on there. And I think the way that Zoom works is um, people who are watching it can ask questions, and I think I think it'd be just like a little party. Django. <sighs> I was tipping back in my wicker chair now. Oh, um, are you... Is it a throne? Are you the king of the wicker people? Oh, I wish Justin were here and could hear that, because he would know exactly what it meant. Um, king of the wicker I people. have not started reading Batman Universe yet, but I'm very excited to. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. And are you going to reread that? <clears throat> I mean... If we were to hypothetically be storing up Batman, I guess we need to be talking about this with our third member, but if we were to be hypothetically reading Batman comics to talk about in a separate uh, line of conversation, and if that were our next one... Can we say the name of it? No, I think we should clear that with our third member before we do. (laughs) Member. Um... (laughs) You are quite the inspiration. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But it might, we might be able to know because a portion of it is integral uh, with us all being together. I was going to say, we might be able to record another episode of it um, while we're all isolated, but there's a component of that podcast that demands we all be together. So never mind. Let's, uh, let's brainstorm that off the air. I I think, uh, I think Batman universe is a good one and I guess I would read it again to, to do that. Yeah. Okay. I know he's got it. All right. And, and I and 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 I would never make any decisions without one of the three people because you know it's a, it's a three people need three people. But I am as long as we're creating audio <laughs> content for people. Um, if you were to be recording, if you were to be like making a list of great Batman stories to be recording podcasts or writing essays or recording video shows or getting tattooed on your body, what do you think are the great Batman stories to do? Oh, well, probably year one would be important. Okay. I think I think year one and uh, Dark Knight Returns would be really interesting ones to talk about with the three of us. I think um, like, there's uh, the Heart of Hush was really good. I don't know if it's been reprinted anywhere, but it was the Heart of Hush. Yeah, it was in like Streets third... of Gotham or something like that. Dude, you and I were talking about this the other day. Yeah, it's great. I think. You, I so think you it also read that? Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Yeah, I really like that story when it when it came out. I don't know if it holds up or not. Um, I think Long Halloween. I think that's the third <clears throat> Hush volume. Okay, Long Halloween would be really good. Um, okay, okay, Django. Those, I mean, those are all okay. like real stock answers, though. They are, um, and they, they were good answers. But it made me think of a direction that I want to take this conversation, since I am tipped back in the wicker chair after King all. King of the wicker people. Um, exactly, King of the <laughs> from my wicker throne <laughs> in my oaken chamber with my corn cob pipe um, and mahogany desk. I don't like this um, guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he sucks. Okay, okay. Now, if we were going to have a conversation in a grand sense at another time in our life, I support that as well. But let's not say strictly what your canon of Batman is, but what do you think are 
like we can all say that like hey if you want to read batman start with batman year one Mm -hmm. if you were to try and chronologically go forward what are the next volumes after that like if you were staying in batman's chronology yeah so like i'll say my answer and you tell me if you think it would be different you have read more batman than i have but i would say batman year one and then I think the long Halloween is the most logical step after that. Because that's an interquel with year one, right? I think it's totally separate, but, but I, think I, it's I only like say... Timeline-wise, isn't it? doesn't it overlap? Well, I only say that because the next story, Dark Victory, is where he meets and teams up with Dick Grayson. Okay. So it's the <clears throat> only other story that seems integral, mm-hmm. incredibly important, and also definitely takes place after Batman was created, but before Dick Grayson was around. Right. Um, gosh, what would be next? I, that that was my first, that was my go-to was that uh, dark, dark or long Halloween. Um, and then Dark Victory is kind of the other half of that story. But I guess theoretically you could put some other things after long Halloween and before Dark Victory if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I actually haven't read Dark Victory. Um, I think, uh, gosh, I don't know. I can't think of anything else that, that solidly sits immediately after year one, other than year two, which was not great. And wasn't that like in the late nineties or like two thousands? No, year two was maybe 80, 80 or nineties. It was 91, 92, maybe. Yeah, maybe you know maybe what I'm thinking that. is that um, after Infinite Crisis uh, by Jeff Johns mm-hmm. in like the probably the 2000s. Um, oh, the one year later. The, yeah, what the fuck was that? So after Infinite Crisis, then 52 was coming out, which was a weekly series by Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Keith Giffen, and Ed Brubaker. Yeah, and. Batman and Wonder Woman and Superman weren't in that at all, and it came out weekly for a year. Did they not make Batman comics, or did all of them? Did they start making them, but they all said one year later, and they just pretended to be a year after Infinite Crisis? DC jumped a year after Infinite Crisis, and then the Fifty Two was supposed to bridge the gap, but it didn't really do that at all. Um, and it, I think it was just to to give everybody a fresh start and let them start telling new stories and not have to worry about getting there if that makes sense so like i think Um, they broke batman and robin up or something like that and and that gave them the ability to to tell a robin story separate from a batman story without showing the schism that happened um did so after that happened i think the first story arc that was in detective comics was a two-face story called face the face by james robinson did you read that it was with the painted covers and the the really really kind of black and white covers for yeah like with half a face i probably did read that but i don't remember it at this point man i started reading like i bought that volume um before i started working at the shop but probably um probably only like a year or two before i started working at the shop and uh it is such a good story I, i wanted to suggest that as a book to read um for future batman graphic novel conversations cool. and I, I'm just curious if everyone's read it. But yeah, James, it's probably, it's the thing that stands in my mind is the best like James Robinson book I've read, but I've never read Starman. You know, another thing we could do for that other podcast that we're bouncing around. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? 
just other possible future Batman conversations. Oh, right. We're not doing another podcast, honest. Other possible future Batman conversations. Um, I, I would love to talk about the first 10 issues of the Dark, Legends of the Dark Knight. It's two separate okay. stories, but it includes the Grant Morrison Gothic. Okay, I was just going to say, isn't Gothic the first six issues? Yeah, and actually, if if we did the first 15 issues, we would have, like, the first comics that I bought to collect in, in that first five-issue run, um, Masks. And then we would have um, the Grant Morrison Gothic, and then we would have Venom, which was the first appearance of the Venom that Bane started using eventually. And I've never read Gothic. Yeah, I I think I think you should probably fix that. Have you read it? Oh yeah. I like Legends of the Dark Knight number one was the comic my brother bought the same day that I bought the Shadow number 14. So like we started collecting those together and I read probably the first 30 issues of Legends of the Dark Knight as soon as I could get my hands on them. Um so having never read gothic but i want to and i think i have maybe the issues even uh, i probably don't have them anymore but um but he, the the reader perspective of that is sort of that his whole like six year batman story is like gothic is basically like a squished down version of that whole thing really? and even down to like there's key scenes within gothic i can't remember if it's at the very beginning where there's like a person being crucified upside down or something like like those are scenes that get put in the 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 Batman run later on. Huh. Um yeah, it, it sounds like you know, Gothic was the story he told if he was only going to get to have six issues right. and then learning that he got to write it for six years, he kind of told a a, a decompressed version of well, that. Well, that was I mean, he did Gothic in 1989 or 1990. Yeah, so that would have so been so long before he started doing Batman. Right, but I bet he had some sort of treatment or story in his head. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that that begs the question, do you think it was after Arkham Asylum? It had to have been after yes. Arkham Asylum. Yes, because they okay. made a big deal out of... So Legends of the Dark Knight was um, superstar creators doing the first new Batman series in ages. And Okay, it, so that was big because he was a superstar from Arkham? Yeah, and Klaus Jansen okay. was drawing it. Klaus, um, Dark Knight Returns Jansen at the time. Um and then uh, the first story was Denny O'Neill and Dick Giordano, Giordano, I think. And then, uh, and then they like after Gothic, they started kind of losing the superstar clout. But even even a uh, hundred issues in, like they would have two issue stories that were interesting creators. Paul Pope did one. Gil Kane did a Batman story in there. I would love to read the Paul Pope ones. Um, do you have all those issues? I've got a pretty complete collection of the first hundred or so i think it went like 170 issues or so and i i don't have all of the later ones but at some point they made what i think was a mistake of putting it in continuity and uh that that lost a, a lot of the luster for me yeah that's the kind of thing that if there was a non-continuity batman like batman universe like if that was allowed to be coming out monthly yeah that would be so awesome and just every time you change creative teams you you change the paradigm it's it's a new universe or whatever um, or and and then they could they could even swap the same creative teams back in for a continuation of their story, kind of like Cross did, where it would just be like gross story, gross story, gross story, and then they would loop back to a, a creator from before, and he would tell a continuing story of a character that uh, you'd already met. Dude, there are no 
like collections of Batman Legends of the Dark Knight in print. Hmm. That seems like I'm just looking it up right now. They have them. That's they have a series called Legends of the Dark Knight by blank. So yeah, but that's not like Legends of the Dark Knight proper. That's just stories. Right. Right. By those creators. Um. Yeah, and then which sucks. And then there was a digital series called Legends of the Dark Knight that was coming out within the last several years. They've got a Matt Wagner Legends of the Dark Knight. Anyway, dang, I wish that that was a collection that existed. I, I thought for some reason that I had seen maybe that there was like an omnibus coming out or something of, of a bunch of them. Well, they were, they were kind of all over the place. And, you know, luckily, if we were to discuss those someday in public in a way that people could hear uh, with anybody in well under, under any sort of... Um, release we could uh <laughs> we could probably supply whatever demand there was to read those stories from our back issues because a lot of people have large collections of legends of the dark knight and then they sell us their collection um yeah that that would be a really good one um okay so year one long halloween dark victory um what's the next agreeable batman story in the in the continuity yeah ish you know like let's broad strokes create batman's life so dark victory he's now got dick grayson Mm -hmm. um is there a definitive story with dick grayson well year three right i've i don't know what that is year three was um I think that was the the story of Dick Grayson growing up and and then becoming Nightwing. Okay, because we would need basically the story of him leaving Batman and becoming Nightwing. Yeah, and I think in in between those two, you would probably want some classic story of Dick versus Two Face, because like they they were the arch enemies, right? Well, yeah, but did you listen? I don't know if you have listened to iFanboy's newest Booksplode podcast, but they read Nightwing Year One or Rob, Robin Year One. Oh, no. Right, it's Robin Year One. Um, With Tim? But it was when Robin... Yeah, no. Um, Robin Year One was... Oh, the Tim Sale one. Chuck Dixon and uh, Javier Polito and Marcos Martin. Okay. Um, I have not read it, but I just listened to a podcast It was about collected it. along with the Batgirl, which was Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, I think. I would believe it. Um, but anyway, they were saying that that was when they were retroactively trying to introduce the idea that Two-Face was Robin's kind of big villain. Oh, okay. So that was a thing that was retconned, which I thought was really interesting um, because I remember like feeling like they were trying to make Two-Face Robin's big villain huh. in certain things. Maybe it's even that face-to-face story, but... Uh, they talk very fondly about Chuck Dixon. Yeah, well, he wrote a lot of comics. <laughs> and he wrote he wrote a lot of comics before social media kind of revealed that he's kind of a butthead. Um but I guess I would still put if that's kind of the agreed upon continuity that I, then I would probably put Robin Year 1 after Dark Victory yeah. as a continuity story. Yeah. Uh, and then, then you got to have Robin leave. Yeah. So is that like, I guess now we're outside Batman stories because that's technically New Teen Titans stuff. Or no, well, is it Batman Prodigal? It crossed over. Okay. Prodigal is uh, the Robin story, I think. The okay. Tim Drake. 
I think after that oh, okay. you would need uh, Arkham Asylum. The the Morrison one, you would put that in there? Uh yeah, I think so because it's it's like Dark Batman after Robin left. I, it's after okay. I haven't read it in a long time, but it I haven't either. I'm making all of this up. I just wonder it does it reference its post Robin? <clears throat> I don't know if it references it, but it seems like that's the time period that it needs to happen. Okay. You know what I mean? Like Okay. Because it's it's such a dark story, it feels like it would be between Robins to me. Okay, so then there's probably nothing huge between then and Jason Todd joining the crew. Yeah. And then probably Death of the Family. Yep. Yep. And then and then uh, A Lonely Place of Dying, which is when Tim Drake joins the crew. Is that when Tim joins? I guess it is, huh? Um and are we forgetting any key Batman stories from when Jason was a Robin or from when Tim Drake was a Robin? I mean, when Tim Drake was a Robin, you, you have to have that prodigal. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, man. This this is hard because by now Batman's 45 or 50 and I don't believe that he would <laughs> still be able to be doing what he does. So I guess the next one that I would say needs to be in con- canon is probably like nightfall yeah for sure and cataclysm and all that shit and then after that is hush mm-hmm. and then after hush i would basically put grant morrison's batman up until you know after that one and then and then tom king's batman what did i not put in there that you would definitely put in there uh the black mirror Yes. So like Dick Grayson as Batman. Dick Bats, yeah. Yeah. And I think uh Yeah, that's that's probably it. I mean the rest of it you could You've look read at a lot more legends, Batman than me. Right? Yeah, but even <clears throat> there's important legend stories that I think we could put in there if I bet I haven't read any of them, but like if you feel like that they should be. No, I mean it's it's all really personal stuff to me. Like the norm we we haven't put any Norm Brayfoggle art in there, and I think um if I was reading a whole bunch of Batman, I would want some of that. I also love the idea of Jeff. That's very personal. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> which Legends of the Dark Knight books I would put in continuity with you on a podcast. And, no, and what it does to my uh, erections. Oh, bud, you and Matt Fraction. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested in like a written. I do want to know like mine and yours and Roman and Justin's sort of 15 stories that form the spine of batman's life <laughs> as long as it doesn't break it oh bud <laughs> master wayne that was very good um, um will you very good. pass the salt i don't understand the reference maybe i should watch the tim burton batman movies while we're in the old quarantine the soup is cold i'm sorry what the soup is cold I'm, so, I'm sorry. I don't understand the <laughs> reference. I don't know. Sure. We're not eating soup and we're in separate rooms. Um, all right. Listen, it's been it's been two and a half hours and there's probably several bits of unusable audio at the beginning of that since we tried to do a video show originally and then it all fell apart. Yeah. Um, well, listen, you know what today is? Yeah, I do now. It's Sunday the 29th. <clears throat> it's Colette's birthday. Oh, well, we're going to have to cut this part out because I got to make sure it seems like I know that. <laughs> uh, okay. 
You know what today is? Your clap didn't count. This doesn't work. Listen, <laughs> bud. All right? This is just a part of our podcast. I don't remember anyone's birthday anymore. That was the only thing Facebook served for. Happy birthday to Colette. Oh, God. Listen. To say the least. Happy birthday to Colette, which is a birthday that I keep internalized and I always know. March 29th is Colette Day. And she's one of the best people that we know. And she's one of the things that keeps our store running. Django, I'm surprised you didn't know any of this stuff. Uh, you know, I'm not real good at dates. Yeah. Um, well, today is Colette's birthday. So happy birthday to the wonderful Colette. Everyone send her a text message when you hear this. All right, buddy. Well, um, happy birthday to you whenever that is, too. Thank you. And happy birthday to you a couple weeks ago. I guess it was a week ago yesterday. No, a week ago, three Holy days ago. Holy cow. What day is it? It's Thursday, it's right? It's Sunday. And oh, your birthday Sunday. was last Thursday. Oh, God. All right. And my birthday is tomorrow. Oh. Well, happy birthday. Thanks, bud. Um, well, as always, I'm Jeff, and it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm Django, and it was my birthday yesterday. And we will try to do, we'll try to get the video stuff ironed out, um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And uh, keep keep watching it. We got to figure out how to do some quick video things from separate rooms. We got to make sure that people can see our faces. Yeah, for sure. Um... All right, buddy. I'm done. I'm done. Get out of my house. All right. Bye. See ya.